What's up, you raving lunatics, and welcome to another episode of the Gorehead Podcast. This one's been a long time in the in the making. We've often brought it up in the Extreme Horror Replay podcast. It is one of Nancy's favorites, and it is her pick for this week. This week's movie is The Last House on the Left. The original. The original. Scores a 6.0 on IMDb. We can't really nail it down, but why do you like this movie so much? (laughs) Because we've talked about it so many times, and we've brought it up so many different times. I I think it's just because you, as a young girl, um, it's easy to relate to the characters. I mean, even though it's like a low-budget horror movie, they do a really good job of, um, you know, casting the right characters and the script and everything and it makes you feel really bad that she's losing her innocence you know in the way that she did in the movie now i i know you have at least one song from the soundtrack on your phone Mm -hmm. do you have any of the others no no okay so i guess what doesn't okay well how do you feel about the whole rape revenge genre because you got this movie You got I Spit on Your Grave, and then we watched the movie Revenge a few years back, the French one. Yeah, well, I I don't think that it, it, um, like, glorifies or sexualizes or sensationalizes. But it is a very exploitation movie. I mean, because if you think about it, like, I mean, there's real people out there like this. Yeah. So, I guess, like, in general... Do you like the rape revenge subgenre? Well, like, do you, like I guess it depends. It's it, I. It would be a, like on an individual basis because it would depend on each movie individually. Yeah, like how they're portraying it. Okay. Okay. So I spit on your grave. We covered that one way back in the XHR days. Mm-hmm. Did you like that movie? Or which one, if you had to pick, and I know we compared, I mean, we compared the two very strongly. This one, The Last House on the Left, and I Spit on Your Grave. Mm-hmm. Which of the two do you like better? I would have to say I Spit on Your Grave is a little bit more jarring. Okay. We don't watch that one nearly as much as we watch this one. No, but we always talk about it when we, when we watch <laughs> I guess we'll have to watch that one next. Because (laughs) when we covered that one, you said, and and especially because of the song that was in it, that was written by David Hess, who plays Krug in Last House on the Left, that the song, Now You're All Alone, fits better for I Spit on Your Grave than it does for Last House on the Left. Mm -hmm. Now, we just finished watching Last House on the Left. Do you still feel that way? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so, do you think it's because of the? It didn't I mean, really even the placement of it in this movie. It didn't really have any significance. Okay. And side note, you might notice that we're a little bit more <laughs> mellow for this episode for the time being. Just, we've had a very long it's thanksgiving weekend we're just we're we're wiped out so um <laughs> we're a little bit more sober for this one not sober but <laughs> a little bit more sober <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> we're a little bit more 
mellow for this one, just because we're tuckered out a little bit. But okay, so <laughs> I'm drawing a blank here. Um, <laughs> edits, edits. Okay, so yeah, all right. So Last House on the Left, and this is one of those movies that, and and you know we did the Q and A episode, um, and this is one of the movies that came up that uh, I believe it was Killer Track. They asked what movie we could watch over and over again. And and Last House on the Left was one of those movies. It does seem to be one of the movies that we put on, I'd say, what, two, three times a year, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a... and, I mean, it's obviously not like a pick-me-up movie, but it's just, I, I, I can't, can you nail it down? Can you nail down what it is that... Well, when we watch it, it's usually because we're like talking about the last time we watched it and i think we we attach the movie to the memory of when we saw it maybe the, the last time yeah or the first time or yeah, yeah whenever like maybe every, it just so happens that every time we're camping we watch this movie so you can't you know we have played this one a lot on the laptop yeah or the portable dvd player so you can't like go anyplace and not like automatically feel like you have to watch it. Do you remember where the first time we saw this movie was? Um, it would probably have been in my room. <laughs> it was yeah. on, but we were <laughs> we were yeah, watching. I'm sure it was on on TV. Uh, so okay, because I don't remember. I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure we rented it from Marshalls or Entertainment Tonight or Hollywood Video, but. Yeah, I don't know. This is just one of those movies. Like, you know, we can turn it on. And, I mean, the movie's depressing as fuck. But we always seem to, like, I mean, we can watch it just about any time of the year. I mean, here yeah. it is Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> and we just, we just finished watching it. Yeah. So, yeah, with that being said, we're just, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to break this down a little bit here. So, um, and again, we're, we're not going to go... Uh, Point to point on it, we're just gonna we're gonna run over some of the uh, the bigger plot uh, points and just you know kind of have some discussion about this. So again, Last House on the Left from 1972 scores a 6.0 on IMDb and a 68 on the Metascore. Marie and her friend. I feel like a woman for the first time in my life. Two girls from the suburbs going to the city to have a good time. Oh, uh, this is my roommate, Sam. Hi, girls. This is my sister, uh, Martha. Uh, Martha, these girls uh, you know, want to buy some grass. Four killers on the loose, also looking for a good time. And the road. They meet in the last house on the left. What began as a birthday party ends as a nightmare. I want to give you something. I don't want that. It's worth a lot. I don't want it. I want to be your friend. Oh, you want to get free. I want to be your friend. Are you all right? Yeah. Hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just what did happen in the last house on the left? Dr. Collingwood, 
live there. Are you sure we're not going to put you folks in any trouble? Oh, nonsense. Our home is yours. His wife lived there. I've always dreamed of a man who could take me easily. So did their daughter, Marie. They all lived there. painting, keep repeating to yourself, it's only a movie, only a movie, only a movie, only a movie, last house on the left. And something that we did just find out that the working title was called Night of Vengeance. Um, hmm. I think you actually might have been out of the room when they were talking about that on the on the uh, the, uh, yeah. the extras. I didn't hear that part. Okay, yeah. So the working title was called Night of Vengeance. Uh, the movie stars Sandra Peabody as Mary Collingwood, Lucy Grantham as Phyllis Stone, and David Hess as Krug Stilo. Now, David Hess did the soundtrack for this movie. And and we brought this up just a little bit ago. You have his song, Now You're All Alone, on your phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you're all alone Feeling that nobody wants you So I get well. I okay. I don't have it. Okay, but I've got like uh, what is it? The horses uh, from Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. crazy horse or uh, cr- goodbye. What is it? Goodbye horses. Goodbye horses. Yeah. So I mean, I've got that. <laughs> yeah. I so I have that song on my phone, and but you've got now you're all alone on your phone. I don't know which one is worse. Because in one you've got you've got well, you know, you've got I'll goodbye. tell you right now it would be yours. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is that? What makes your song better than my song? Just the fact that you had to like bring it up like that. You just. <laughs> but I'm just comparing the sound the 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 songs. I just figured to it, each other. It, it was a really good song, you know. Okay, but if you know where the song is from. Yeah, like your song. Well, yeah. I mean, you know. Like you ever loved Goodbye Horses. I'd never heard it until I saw <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. You'd never heard that and song. And you, you like to play it when you're driving around so it can take you back, too. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right. Yeah. See, I can edit that. Um, so. Okay, so Mary is turning 17, and in the very first scene of the movie, you get this uncomfortable discussion between her parents and and Mary about how she's growing up. She's um, growing into a woman. Yeah, she's turning into a woman. She's Her, her tits are all out. Her nipples are showing. 
and the mom says something about how you know she's uh used to wear pointy bras and or whatever i mean you know obviously i have never had that experience because i don't wear bras (laughs) is that a discussion that you would have with your mom or would have had with your mom um and dad, I guess, technically, because, you know. But, so, anyway, she's going out into the city to celebrate her birthday with her friend Phyllis. And they're going to see a, ba- a band called Bloodlust. You never even gave me the chance to answer your question. <laughs> you didn't look like you wanted to. Um, so, okay. So, I mean, would you, have you, would you have ever had a discussion with that, like that, with your your mom and dad? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. That's it? (laughs) You stopped me from telling the plot? I just couldn't believe you just, like, completely (laughs) steamrolled right over what I was saying and went on to the next topic. She gave me, like, a a two-word answer. So, (laughs) I don't know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) so is that your final answer (laughs) yes all right so you don't know if you would have had that discussion okay um i'm sure we would have like joked about it when we got older but not at 17 um i don't maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) could you be any more vague (laughs) okay so (laughs) like a 50-50 chance. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so, all right, Mary and her friend Phyllis now, they're going into the city. Again, you get the songs by David Hess. Um all of all pretty much all of the music in this movie is from David Hess. So Mary and Phyllis are driving into the city and you get some exposition over the radio that discusses you know, like the, the radio operator or DJ is explaining how Krug and his lackeys have escaped from jail and they've killed a German shepherd and a couple cops. And, and all a, points bulletin. And, yeah, an APB. So they got the APB out. And then as Phyllis and Mary are walking through town, this is where you get the song from, well, it's not from Cabin Fever, but it's in Cabin Fever, the La 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 We never really connected that from from that movie to this movie until I think the last time we watched it. So you get the song from Cabin Fever or the song that Cabin Fever stole that Eli stole from Wes. But so yeah, Mary and Phyllis, they're they're in, in the city, not only to see the band Bloodlust, but they're looking for weed. And they happen to run into Junior, who is, I guess, Krug's son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they he stops them. They ask him if he's got any weed. He says, no, originally. And then he says, well, yeah, you know, I guess maybe because he, he wanted to make sure they weren't cops or something. Like yeah. undercover cops or something. But then he tells them that he's got some primo Colombian up in his uh, hotel or apartment room or whatever. As soon as the girls go upstairs into the hotel room, Junior shuts the door behind him, and you immediately start getting the creeps from Krug, Sadie, Weasel, and Junior. 
they immediately well, the fact that they keep like they all have to be together like at all times the four of them weird. yeah 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 i think the the only time they're not is in the very beginning when you when you first see him and it was was it Krug and Weasel or Krug and Junior that were walking when he when Krug popped the kid's balloon. Oh yeah. Or maybe Krug and I don't even remember which one. So but yeah, they're it's like they're yeah, they they're afraid to go somewhere without each other maybe or something. <laughs> so they go up to the hotel room and they're immediately you immediately start getting the creeps from the four of them and like already at this point, you just you're you're creeped out from them. I mean, you know they're up to no good because this whole time they've been. I mean, well, you hear the the exposition on the radio. You know what's going on with the four of them. Well, we know that um, Junior, or I think they call him Junkie, yeah, a couple of times. We know that he has uh, a drug problem, so they really uh, they play that up. They play that up a lot in the movie. And Sadie. Well, on the radio, they call her animalistic, like she's uh, like just evil. Yeah, she she doesn't really (laughs) seem to have like a conscience or anything. No, and there's one, well, to that note, there is one point where Krug does seem to have like a very small shred of a conscious. I think it's right after he shoots Mary, and he just kind of gets a look on his face that like, you know. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Hmm. So, but anyway, um, in between the girls going to up to the hotel room, you see Mary's mom and dad, and they're making a cake because, again, it is her birthday. And even though she's gone, when she gets back, they plan on having a party for her. So they're making a cake. They're decorating the house. They're doing whatever. She's obviously an only child or yeah, at least the only child left at home. Uh, well, yeah, for sure. Cause you, yeah, you don't see anybody else besides mom and dad. You know, the mom and dad kind of like, I could swear I've seen them before in other movies, but they have been in nothing. Like it, maybe it's just the kind of faces. Yeah. Maybe they just did a really good job of making them look like the ge- generic, you know, concerned 70s, parents. Yeah. Generic seventies mom yeah. and dad. Um, Carol and, and uh, Mike Brady. But that was that 60s? Um, or was that early 70s? That was uh, late 60s. Late 60s? Okay. Uh, late, late, late 69, I think it was. 69. <laughs> so, so after you see the mom and the dad um, making the cake and decorating the house and everything, you cut back to Krug and the gang. Kind of the, well, they're they're beating up on Mary and Phyllis, and they they punch them, they knock them out, and then the next morning, you see them loading the two of them up into their vehicle, and, they, and so then they they drive off towards the countryside. Now Junior was driving, Weasel was in the back seat, Krug was in the back seat, and Sadie was sitting on Krug's lap, and I assume she was riding him. So, <laughs> okay. That's all I get. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what I assume too. But okay, so were you getting? I mean, I just, it. I mean, I know they were creeps, but you know, yeah, they're she's exhibitionist riding one out on him. Yeah, in the car. So, 
And this is, okay, and now we're introduced to the two cops. One is, what was the guy's name from Karate Kid? Oh, Sensei? Yeah, the Sensei. <laughs> uh, there's no there's no fear in this dojo, no pain in this dojo. Yeah, um, no defeat. Yeah, what was his name? It wasn't just Sensei, but it was... Oh, um, it was something. So, Martin <laughs> Cove, anyway, is the actor. Uh, but so yeah, he's the uh, the the sensei from the Karate Kid movie, the the good one, not the one with uh, fucking Jaden Smith. But anyway, so he's one of the cops, and I guess these two are supposed to be almost like comic relief or something. But they they really have no place in this movie. They have no fitting in this movie. They have no. There's no reason. I mean, there's a reason for the cops to be there, but for them to be so goofy and off yeah, the wall, that was really it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. So the two cops are at the at the Collingwood's house, Mary's mom and dad, and you know, so they're eating this cake that Mary's mom and dad had made for Mary, but they just they, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of off the wall. It's it's goofy. So and unnecessary. Yeah, and and we cut back to Krug, the gang, and Phyllis and Mary in the woods. And at this point, you don't realize that, or maybe you do. Yeah, sorry. We, we failed to mention that their car broke down right outside, or just at the end of the Collingwood driveway. Mary realizes that they're there, that they're very close to the house, but she can't do anything about it because she's still, you know, being held captive. Krug tells Phyllis to piss her pants. Now, I remember seeing this movie way, 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 way back at my cousin's house in Indiana on cable. And this was one of the the scenes that I remember. I didn't know what the movie was, but for whatever reason, it was on HBO or Cinemax or Showtime or whatever it was, because they had money and we didn't, and they had all those fancy premium channels. But, so I remember seeing this movie, and or at least this scene to the movie, and that whole piss your pants thing always kind of, like, stuck with me. And I didn't really realize what it was from until we had seen it again, you know, a few years ago. But it was just one of those things. So Krug tells Phyllis to piss her pants. And he says, you know, if you don't, I'm going to cut your friend. Junior kind of starts to feel remorse. So if you were in that situation, would you try and fight back? Would you do what they're told or what you're told in terms of or in the hopes that maybe they would let you go? Um... Or would you just, like... I think it would be more like a survival thing. It didn't really matter how it assisted in my survival. I mean, it it just would make more sense to play it cool and do what they say to prolong my life. But you wouldn't expect to get out of it. I mean, because at this point, you know that they're... Well, they haven't specifically said they're going to kill you, but... They've already told you that if you don't do what they said, they're going to cut your friend. Yeah. Which would lead you to believe that if your friend didn't do what they said, they would cut you. Or if the friend didn't do what they said, they would cut you. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty much of the understanding that you're not going to make it out, but you're just going to do what you can to prolong the situation right. for that much more time. 
Right. Why why make my last few moments, you know, miserable miserable for myself, you know. Yeah. Okay. So, Junior now, you you can see on his face that he starts to feel remorse. You know, rather than keeping to keeping allowing or rather than keeping rather than keep allowing rather than keep allowing Krug <laughs> To beat up the girls, he says, hey, you know, why don't we just have them make it with each other instead? So, at this point, the the girls start stripping, and he kind of, I mean, you know, nothing is shown. You can see the girls are naked, but, like, nothing sexual is shown. And it's just one of those situations, like, now, like, the, the creepy factor is really starting to step up at this point, because... You know, now they're making the girls get naked. Now, yeah, it, it does make you wonder how how far this movie will go. And for the time, it goes really pretty far because I mean, there hasn't been a lot of things, you know, up until this point that were this not necessarily extreme, but this like graphic, realistic. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> So Junior has the girls start making it, make it, just have them make it. Um, making it. Phyllis claims that she's cold, so she talks to Weasel, asks if she can get dressed again, and as soon as she gets dressed, she takes off down the woods, or you know, through the woods. Sadie and Weasel go after her, and I don't even it's know. Another where. one of those classic cases of no matter how. Fast she runs. They're always two steps yeah. behind her. <laughs> I don't even know where Krug is at this point. Where is Krug at? Um, I don't know. So That's a good question. Yeah, it's only it's Krug or Weasel and Sadie are off after Phyllis. Junior is back with Mary, and Mary is trying to convince Junior or Junkie that his name should be Willow, and that he's like a kind soul and. Something that that convinces him that they can relate to each other somehow. Yeah, and and she ends up giving him the peace symbol necklace that his that her mom gave to her. Her mom and dad gave to her before she left for the concert. So and and she's kind of doing this to appeal to him or to I guess get on his good side or mm-hmm. you know something. Well, then they cut back to Sadie. Sadie finally catches up with Phyllis, and then Phyllis hits her in the head with a log or a branch or something and escapes again. You know, she goes running back off into the woods. Then we cut to, and there's, I mean, like, a lot of cuts in this point of the movie. We cut back to the cops. They're at the station, and they hear a call come over the radio that says something about the gang has escaped, they're in this neck of the woods and something something so they take off from the station and they get so far and then they run out of gas in the middle of the road because they're supposed to be morons but yeah exactly like i mean again we go back to that comic relief but it's really unnecessary and pretty ridiculous so krug and the gang not so we yeah again we cut back to krug and the gang they catch up to Phyllis. Apparently, Krug and the gang catch Phyllis. They end up stabbing her in the back, and they just kind of like kick her and torment her and everything like that. 
And then I believe it's Weasel ends up stabbing Sadie in the stomach like, what, three, four, five times? Mm -hmm. And then Sadie stabs her, and they end up, like, pulling her guts out and playing with it. And it's just very brief, but you can definitely tell exactly what it is. But you're kind of, you're still left wondering why, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? They never really explain it. I think just pure torture. So Krug ends up raping Mary. (laughs) And this is, this is where you finally chirped up in the movie. As he's raping her, he's drooling on her face. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and as he pulls away, there's a giant like spit spit string on on her, her face connected to his mouth and and she gets up after he's done and she kind of just walks off and she walks into a pond crew gets a gun from weasel and he ends up shooting her two or three times in the pond and then again we cut and now we cut back to the cops they're walking down the road again the the comic unnecessarily yeah. comic relief and you see a truck pull it up and it's filled it's a pickup truck filled to the brim with chickens and cages now <laughs> the, the lady driving this truck is an older black woman yeah, uh, yeah that was also really unnecessary yeah you know she's she's missing teeth she's very country bumpkin very stereotypical southern like hillbilly older black woman missing teeth got a real strong southern accent yeah just extremely stereotypical but the movie takes place in connecticut so i don't know so she pulls up and she's got chickens now the cops stop her and they tell her you know listen we've got the law on our side you need to give us a ride to wherever. And she says, well, you know what? I've got the truck. So, you know. She's basically like, yeah. no, you're not You're not commandeering my car. You, you need me more than I need yeah. you kind of thing. So <laughs> she, she has the two cops get on the roof of the truck. And she goes to start the truck and pull away. And the truck stalls. And then the two cops go flying off the front of the truck. So... You know, again, were these characters just put in here as comic relief to kind of de-stress the situation? Maybe maybe they figure if they give a little bit of everything in the movie, then they're pleasing all audiences. But it was really... I don't... I I honestly don't think you could, like... I don't don't see how it's... um, It does anything for the plot. It definitely doesn't do anything for the plot. I don't think the, I mean, I don't don't think you can diffuse the situation of the violence and the rape and the murder. Well, like. With two bungling cops. Bumbling. Like in, like, let's use The Silence of the Lambs as an example. It's a super intense movie. It's over, over the top, especially for its time. What did they use to offset that? Well, they used, you know, witty comments that Hannibal Lecter would say. You know, some off-putting comments, but nothing that was, like, stupid slapstick comedy. Definitely not slapstick. Yeah. Well, not even really comedy. But, I mean, like... What movie is more, like, respected? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, Silence of the Lambs, it won, like, six Oscars. 
So you just don't know what Last House on the Left, the original, would have been capable of if maybe the script had been written differently. Maybe if the the casting or the the direction may have been done differently. Because it, it had all the intensity of like a Silence of the Lambs movie, but it just didn't have... Too much comedy. It had too much comedy and it it didn't have enough. I mean, this was Wes Craven's first movie. Yeah. So he was still, I mean, obviously learning at this point. And this is 1972, so there hadn't been a lot this intense. Maybe he thought the comic relief would justify the meme of the movie. I don't, and maybe the the characters, it sounded like maybe the um the guy from Karate Kid, it sounded like he may have insinuated that he was able to ad-lib some of his character. Probably a little bit, yeah. So maybe the whole fact that he made his character goofy was something all on him. <laughs> he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, what else have you seen him in that? Just Karate Kid. <laughs> right. And uh, what was he in? He was in... Um, well, he's in Cobra Kai. VFW. That came out a couple of years ago. But, yeah, I I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think the comedy, the comedic relief lived up to the mean of the movie. The Well, they did that in that Friday the 13th. I don't remember which one it was, but they did, like, the one, like, the cops or some, like, bumbling idiot... Was walking around. Crazy going they on did here. like, yeah, they but they did like clown music or something. Oh, um, shit! We just watched it too. I remember what you're talking. It was uh, Halloween four. Was it Halloween? I thought it was Friday the Thirteenth. I think it was Halloween four, four or five, because yeah, the cops show up and they do that. Yeah. and like make horn noises and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I just I don't think the, I don't think the comic relief for the movie, I don't think it was justified. So anyway, so we go back to the forest and Krug and the gang are washing up in the pond, another pond, and they end up getting changed and they go up to the Collingwood house. Or the the mom and the mom and the dad offer Krug and the gang dinner. And, you know, they can stay the night because they, you know, they said their car was broken down or whatever. The dad kind of, well, I guess they both start noticing strange behavior at the dinner. Like, I think the dad notices like a bite mark on, I think it was either Krug or Weasel's yeah, arm. on their hand. They start, like, the way they A bandage eat. on, uh... Oh, her head. Yeah. Sadie's head from where she got hit with the branch. But, like, they're almost ravenous in the way that they're eating and drinking yeah, like, the wine. like, they're and... not used to having a decent meal. And, yeah. And yeah. she was really slurping down the, the wine. <laughs> so, yeah. like So they... much so that it caught their attention. Right. So, they finish up with dinner, and Junior starts having withdrawals from heroin or cocaine or whatever he's been on. And... The mom, so he's he's thrown up in the bathroom now, and the mom goes in to check on him, and she discovers the necklace that they had given to Mary that that Junior is is wearing the necklace because mm-hmm. again he had gotten it from Mary in when the she hopes said that, that his name should be Willow or would be Willow, right? 
And, and, yeah, She's in the hopes that she could kind of like connect with him. So the mom goes to the dad. I mean, none of this is discussed out loud, but they go searching for Mary in the woods, and they end up finding her. And now we noticed right away that you could clearly see that Mary is alive when they find her. And not only is she alive, but she's out of the pond. So we thought Mary was dead earlier because she was just floating in the pond mm-hmm. after she, she she had gotten shot two or three times. You Yeah, and you hear the two or three gunshots, and you're supposed to be led to believe that that's her being shot over and over again right? in the pond. Somehow she got out of the pond. Somehow she was resurrected. And the parents found her. Immediately after they found her, they cut away. You see the father and the mother kind of holding her without seeing Mary. And then the father says, there's nothing we can do. She's dead. <laughs> so <laughs> she she was killed in the pond. She was resurrected and got out of the pond. She was alive. And then she was dead. Very confusing. And I don't know if that's just bad editing or... I'm sure if you look online, they have... Yeah, whatever the, <laughs> whatever the case is. So I'd like to find out what, what that was supposed to be all about. <laughs> so at this point, knowing the mom and the dad, knowing that Krugan and the gang were responsible for the murder of their daughter, they immediately start planning revenge. So the mom starts working on Weasel kind of seduces him and is flirting and talking about how you know she can please any guy and And he's he's eating it up like a total idiot thinking with his dick yeah so she says something about how you know can he please her with his hands tied behind his back and he's like oh fuck yeah i can you know i can do anything with my hands tied behind my back with my head between my legs and whatever other excuse he came up with so she ends up taking him out to the to the pond or to the pool or the pond somewhere i don't know there's a pool and a pond pond would be good for him she ends up tying his hands behind his back with his tie she goes down on him to give him a blowy and he's enjoying every minute of it talking (laughs) but that's that was what i I was wondering during that scene is she could have done what she was gonna do at the very beginning but she pleased him first uh maybe it was to get him bigger in order to bite off more maybe to get more blood flow more blood flow or maybe the teasing was part of it (laughs) i don't know it just seemed like i don't know you know the opportunity was there a lot earlier I see. I do. I do see what you're saying. I do see what you're saying. No, I totally. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, just it, to me, it just seemed like there well, was another yeah. ulterior motive. I mean, because she was down there long enough for him to say, "Oh, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come." Yeah. And then she yeah. bit. And it was actually a, there was a pause between that, like she was waiting for him. <laughs> I, I don't know. Now you got me thinking. I, I, if I had to guess, it would just be because I think she wanted to either tease him more or get more, more, more blood flow 
down there in order for him to like bleed out faster if i had to guess i don't want to guess because that would hurt (laughs) so so yeah anyway mom bites weasel's dick off and (laughs) dick off (laughs) dad meanwhile is playing macgyver with all these traps in the house uh he's planning an electrical shock under a rug like he's taken a, a wire a copper wire and frayed it frayed f-r-a-y-e-d frayed and then like poured water over the top of it um, he was pulling a kevin McAllister. yeah that too from home alone yeah <laughs> so yeah he was like setting baby trap <laughs> booby <laughs> that's, that's what i said i said, I said booby so, yeah, and he's putting shaving cream on the floor, so if somebody were to step on it, they would trip and or slide and fall or whatever. Um, but now, at this point, the dad goes downstairs after all these traps. He uh, he finds a, a shotgun, and he somehow makes his way up into the guest bedroom where Krug is sleeping with Sadie. And he, he you know, Krug wakes up, sees the father... Pulls the plug on the lamp and the room goes dark. The dad takes a shot with a shotgun and he doesn't... I think he hits Krug in the shoulder maybe or something. So now the dad and Krug are out in the family room fighting. The mom is just kind of off by herself at this point. The dad and Krug are fighting and they're, you know, doing the punching game. I know how much you like to mock the punching zones. (laughs) So you get some... Some fushes and some pows and some bangs and slaps and whatever. <laughs> Junior shows up now with Krug's gun, or Weasel's gun, and he takes one shot. And he misses both the dad and Krug. Krug now turns to his son, and knowing that he's in a vulnerable state, he tells Weasel to put the gun in his mouth. And blow his brains out. No, he tells... um, Or, I'm sorry, tells Junior. Yeah. Krug tells Junior, put the gun in your mouth, pull the trigger, and blow your brains out. And he repeats it, like, three or four times. And then finally... You always were a loser. Junior. I want to talk to you. Listen to Daddy. Come on. Now, I want you to take the gun. And I want you to turn around. To put it in your mouth, and I want you to blow your brains out. No! Oh, I want you to take the gun, and I want you to put it in your mouth, and I want you to blow your brains out. No! Blow your brains out! Blow! Weasel or Kurt Junior? Shit, one of them. Junior does exactly that. Off screen. You hear the gun go off, and then they cut to Junior, and he's, like, slumped over, and he's dying because he had shot himself in the mouth or in the head. As this is all going on, the father escapes. He goes downstairs, and he gets a chainsaw. He comes back upstairs, again fighting with Krug. Now Sadie shows up, distracts Krug, and the father's got the chainsaw. He gets Krug down. Uh, So Sadie gets to the outside. Starts fighting with the mother. Krug is inside. And just as 
the father is about to waste Krug with the chainsaw, the cop shows up again. Yells, don't do that. Stop where you're at. Father says, fuck it. And buries the chainsaw into Krug's chest. And then we cut back to the outside. The mother is fighting with Sadie. She now has Weasel's switchblade. Cuts Sadie's throat. And Sadie falls into the pool and dies. The mom goes inside to dad. They kind of hug. And that is the end of the movie. The credits roll. So, this was a pathetic episode. You hardly said a word. Um, Hon, I'm... So, I mean, obviously this is one of your favorite movies. Yeah. Because we've watched it, you know, like we said, two, three, four times a year. You have the song on your phone. And every once in a while, I'll catch you singing the, <laughs> the song for no reason. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, the the gore score. Just the gore and the violence. Out of ten. What would you give this one? Oh, out of ten, just the gore and the violence? Yeah. Um. Well, I guess the um, rape violence would probably yeah. be at an eight. An eight, okay. And then your overall score. What would you give it overall? As a movie, as a horror movie? As as... a horror movie, that plot, characters, story, everything. I guess plot and story are the same thing. Um, I would would probably also do an eight. An eight? Because, I mean, obviously it's one of your favorite movies. Yeah. For some weird reason. And if I'm like that, I'm sure (laughs) there's plenty of other people i guess this, feel the same way except for being kind of cheesy with the cops it's a good mix of psychological and gory horror yeah or 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 uh exploitation horror so i mean for the gore score it's not i'm gonna go a little lower because i, I mean compared to some things i've seen i would give it about a six six and a half on the gore score um, but still an eight overall. I mean, there is a couple weird like edits where you just see like birds flapping in the, you know, or sitting on branches or butterflies or like the shots of the creek or the stream running through the, you know, over the rocks and stuff like that. I don't know if that was Wes Craven's way of padding the time or if it was just like, uh, like uh you know cleansing your palate for the yeah, next scene yeah exactly like we're watching this movie like here's a little sigh of relief a little breath yeah. of fresh air you know that kind of thing so eight overall six and a half on the gore score um i mean obviously i i would say you'd recommend it to somebody that has never seen it before yes yeah so um um but i would recommend i wouldn't recommend it to like somebody that not a casual watcher right somebody that that is a horror movie somebody who's a little bit more seasoned yeah and nobody that that doesn't that isn't into watching horror movies right like you hear people in there like i do not do horror movies that this would totally not be (laughs) a good choice (laughs) it wouldn't be a good one um and your favorite scene? You have a favorite scene? Um, my favorite scene of this movie would be oh, I 
<laughs> There's not really a, I mean, the whole movie is kind of sad. I mean, I guess after the parents finally when they get their revenge. Get their revenge. Yeah, I mean, that's like each individual revenge or overall the revenge? Uh, overall. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if, I, I mean, I guess actually I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't know if I could individually pick out like an individual scene. Definitely nothing with the cops because I found them just to be like, I know they were supposed to be comic relief, but they were kind of boring and annoying. So, uh, I don't know. I don't really have a favorite scene. Same as you, I think, probably. Just kind of like the whole th- the whole thing overall and the revenge, you know. I like when the mom bites, bites Weasel's dick off because just, I mean, he deserved it. So, but, um, so, yeah, I, that's uh, kind of a bleh, episode, a dull episode. Um, so, yeah, uh, anyway, <laughs> so, you can find us at the Gorehead Podcast on Instagram, Gorehead P on Twitter, that's Gorehead, the letter P, not P-E-E, on Twitter. Uh, we don't have Facebook, so forget about that. Um, you can find us on just about every podcast app that is out there. Stitcher, iTunes, Google, um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., etc., CastBox, and such. Um, again, we will have merch and and fun little stuff like that available uh, to be continued. But uh, so anyway, yeah. For the Gorehead Podcast, I am Ben. Be good to each other. And I am Nancy. And we will talk to you all next episode. So take care. All right. Bye, y'all. That was bad.